Welcome to Off the Deep End. I'm Erin Monahan, and I'm a trauma-informed, tarot and astrology-obsessed mindset and embodiment coach, a certified facilitator of the trauma of money, the founder of Terra Incognita Media, a professional feminist killjoy and toxic masculinity interrupter, and I'm also the cool aunt. (laughs) And I'm here to give you my feminist analysis on all things anti-capitalist entrepreneurship, healing money trauma, and living a conscious life that aligns with your values so that we can all thrive. Hello, hello, friends. It has been quite some time since I have recorded a podcast episode. I guess I took a really long break without realizing it. The last time I recorded was in May. Um, I am newly settled in a new apartment as of like a week ago. I have a little bit of a cold because I haven't been sleeping enough and the stress of the move and everything. So I do sound kind of weird. But I also don't really mind it because it kind of makes me talk a little slower and a little softer. And that's just kind of a nice change of pace for me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I I feel motivated and inspired to talk about a few things today. Mainly, I want to talk about how right now we are in the holiday season and we, we just had the quote-unquote holiday of Thanksgiving, or as I like to say, Thanksgiving. And I want to speak on that and also speak on how right now there are a lot of sales going on and Black Friday and Cyber Monday and how that can trigger our money trauma. So I want to speak a bit on that and talk about the scarcity tactics that is so prevalent in marketing. So yeah, that's a bit, that's that's the intro. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for your attention right now and for being in my community. So grateful that you're taking the time to listen. And let's get into the episode. Before we get into the bulk of the episode, I just want to share with you two things. One is that we just had Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving last week. And I want to emphasize that Thanksgiving is a national day of mourning. And it's important for all of us to acknowledge and honor the original stewards of the stolen land of the so-called United States, of Turtle Island. And the only gratitude that deserves to be given is to the original stewards and to the indigenous people who are continuously resisting ongoing settler colonialism and who are continuously resisting genocide at the hands of the United States government. And it's important for us to educate ourselves and to continuously grapple with and confront and work against and challenge the story and the myth of this quote-unquote holiday. This this holiday, quote-unquote, that is rooted in lies. It's rooted in this whitewashed propaganda 
a lot of us were raised to think about and believe that this nation was built on sharing and giving and that indigenous people came together with pilgrims or pioneers and we know this is a huge lie and we know that what really happened is that colonizers came over stole this land from indigenous people violently and forcibly against their will and out of this process came reservations came indian boarding schools and the national park service and national parks are all a manifestation of this violent process indigenous peoples were violently pushed out of their homelands and continuously to this day are being violently pushed out of their homelands to make space for white people to make space for people like me colonizers who want to go on vacation when they get tired of the city life that is what happened when like that is how national parks came to be and there are definitely some tangible things that we can do to support the ongoing resistance of indigenous peoples and their fight for liberation and sovereignty so one is that of course you can educate yourself educate your family educate your friends about the true history of turtle island and about the stolen land on which you reside. Understand how ongoing colonization works. And the second major thing that we can do is you can pay a voluntary land tax to the original stewards of the stolen land that you live on. You can research the local indigenous groups and communities and pay a monthly amount as a land tax to them. And these are ideas that I've learned from Jolie Varela of Indigenous Women Hike, and I highly recommend that you follow her and you support her work. So again, her name is Jolie Varela, and she is the founder of Indigenous Women Hike. And the other thing that I wanted to mention before we get into the bulk of the episode is that we are still in a pandemic. It is not over, no matter how much anybody wants to believe that it's over. It's, it's not over. And I've never been of the mind that it's over. I've just come to grieve and accept that this is the new reality. And it sucks. But it's true. And we are living in a pandemic right now. Still. We still need to be wearing masks. And if you can get vaccinated, if you can get boosted, I encourage you to do that. We have to think about the health and the safety of so many people outside of ourselves especially those who are immunocompromised, who are at the greatest risk of dying from COVID. There are people filling the hospitals from COVID right now, and a lot of people have gotten and are getting long COVID. So please protect yourself and others by treating life as if we're still in a pandemic, because we are. Let's talk about Black Friday Christmas shopping, and holiday sales. This time of year is really centered around consumption and buying things. And gift giving in and of itself is not bad. There's nothing wrong with buying gifts. It can be a lovely exchange and a beautiful symbol of your care and love and admiration for someone. And a lot of our love languages are through giving and receiving gifts. And that's totally great. There's nothing wrong with that. And if this is your favorite time of year, that's great too. 
And I also want to say that for a lot of people, shopping sales right now and Black Friday deals is the only way that they can access the things that they want and need at a more affordable price. And so this is not to shame or judge anyone for shopping Black Friday at all. This is this is not about that. I just I just bought some some new running pants that I that I've been needing. So I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that I don't even participate in the sales. Um and I'm not trying to shame or judge anybody else for doing that. But my message is one of just encouraging us to be more conscious and discerning shoppers. So we all have to understand that we are all consumers in this society. So no matter if we're shopping Black Friday or not, this information will apply to you. No matter if you like shopping or you disdain shopping or whatever, like we are all considered consumers in this society. We are not citizens. We are not considered human beings in the eyes of this government. We are all viewed as consumers inside of this capitalist this white supremacist capitalist machine that we live in. And it's especially pertinent to get mindful about our money habits and impulses, especially during this time, because marketing tactics of scarcity are at an all-time high. I mean, my inbox is flooded with, with, with emails that say, get this deal fast, hurry before it's gone. You're going to miss out. You don't want to miss out on this deal. And it's all just playing into our FOMO and and our, our yeah, like uh, fear of going without. So we're going to be, I mean, if you haven't already, we're going to be seeing brands and businesses pulling out all the FOMO and scarcity stops to get you to spend your money with them. And I, the goal of this episode and the goal of my work in general is to help you to feel more equipped to navigate making money decisions and purchases with more clarity, consciousness, and discernment. So the marketing that we're going to see and that we that generally we see all the time, marketing in general triggers us to go into scarcity. It triggers a sense of danger in us that if we don't get this thing, we will go without it. We will be without Like that is the base, that is the foundation of what's happening in our brains is that when we see something that reads, hurry before it's gone, like that in and of itself is triggering us to feel scarce, to go into scarcity mode. It can trigger this sense that we're going to go without. And that that is the tactic. We're made, we're being made to feel that the supply is scarce even if it's something that we don't actually need for survival. So it's like, it could be a vacuum. <laughs> it could be a pair of socks. It could be Tupperware. But that is what a lot of brands play into, is this false sense of scarcity. And again, there is nothing wrong with wanting to buy some new things, wanting to buy some cute some cute things here and there or whenever you want that, you know, we don't always have to make purchases that are about our survival. That is, that is not what I'm saying here. Cause I buy lots of things that I don't need for my survival <laughs> and I'm very happy about it. <laughs> but again, this is to help you to be more aware of the landscape of business, 
of capitalism, of brands and marketing so that you can make informed decisions instead of buying from impulse or buying from your emotions because that is how a lot of us are conditioned in this society. And I'm going to be talking about how our money trauma is wrapped up in this too because our money trauma can absolutely impact how we make money decisions and these marketing tactics are triggering our money trauma. And so I want to help you basically to experience less buyer's remorse to sum it up because I know buyer's remorse all too well. Taylor's version. (laughs) What does marketing, public relations, consumerism, and psychoanalysis have in common? Well, a lot. They have everything to do with each other. I I actually watched this documentary. It's called The Century of the Self. And through my through getting certified through the Trauma of Money program, uh, if you haven't heard me talk about the Trauma of Money program or if you don't know about it, I highly recommend that you look into it. Um, I can also, I'll provide a link in the show notes. The... This documentary, The Century of Self, which you can find on YouTube, I'll also be linking that in show notes as well. This it is all about this documentary is all about the origins of psychoanalysis and how they were how it was used as psychoanalysis was used as a tool to basically spread propaganda, spread the propaganda of ongoing colonization, cis-heteropatriarchy, and capitalism in the United States. And the person who is considered the the like father of public relations of marketing is his name is Edward Bernays. And he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. So Sigmund Freud is the founder of psychoanalysis, right? And So he's the uncle of this guy named Edward Bernays, who is considered the father of public relations. And Edward Bernays took all of Sigmund Freud's research and learnings all about the unconscious and the subconscious and the psychology of of the human brain and applied it to propaganda, applied it to marketing to businesses, to getting people to buy things. Bernays believed that, this is a quote from the documentary, public opinion is not a rational force. So basically, Bernays believed that people, like me and you, couldn't be trusted to know what we want. We just couldn't be trusted. And this dehumanizing sentiment was also held by Freud and also echoed by his daughter, Anna Freud. And the reason why I mention her is because she carried out her father's legacy and ensured that this message was espoused throughout psychoanalytical teachings across the United States. 
And so I, right now I feel like I'm that guy from It's Always Sunny with the meme that he's like pointing with to all of these different papers and have all these crossing lines and, and it's like, you know, he's like, looks like he's like describing a conspiracy theory and that's exactly how I feel right now because there are all of these like intersecting lines and connections um, between psychoanalysis and the the way that our government is structured and works and uh, the marketing of wars because Edward Bernays helped with marketing wars for Woodrow Wilson and and with psychoanalysis and the roots of that and also like how now we are being bombarded by messaging in in marketing and with brands that are tapping into our subconscious I want to read a quote from Bernays in this quote is from his book that was published in 1928 and it was called Propaganda. So he writes, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, and our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires that control the public mind." wow so that's just so fucked up like he's basically encouraging this idea that it is democratic to manipulate our subconscious it is democratic to to manipulate the way that the public thinks and to manipulate what we want and and our choices because we don't know any better for ourselves what Bernays called this was, quote unquote, the engineering of consent. So he worked with government leaders and then eventually brands to, to control and regiment, this is a quote, to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing about it. And so, and then how how he did this was that he didn't appeal to the rational part of the human mind. He would tap into the unconscious. He would manipulate, he manipulated the unconscious of people, of people's minds. One incredibly disturbing example of the power of Bernays' marketing was that he promoted cigarettes to young women, to, to women as if it was like a fashionable thing and also played into this idea that it was liberating for women to smoke cigarettes. So he promoted the brand Lucky Strikes by convincing women that this was a really fashionable thing to do. 
and it was really successful. And he also played into the idea that smoking cigarettes would also be a way to keep you thin. Meanwhile, he was always trying to convince his wife to quit smoking. So whenever he would find cigarettes, he would snap them in half and flush them down the toilet. So while he was promoting these cigarettes and marketing and promoting all these things about it being this soothing element for your throat and how it would make you really slim and attractive and fashionable, he clearly was really aware of some of the earlier studies that linked cigarettes to cancer. A terrifying example of the power of Edward Bernays' manipulative propaganda tactics is that in the 1920s, Joseph Goebbels, who was responsible for Nazi propaganda and was a trusted friend and colleague of Adolf Hitler and was charged with presenting Hitler in the most favorable light and spreading anti-Semitic views in German media, he learned about, he learned everything that he, all that he knew about propaganda and media and spreading messages and convincing the masses of your ideas and your message, everything he learned was from Edward Bernays. So he was a very big fan of Edward Bernays and his writing. And yeah, as the minister of propaganda for the Third Reich, he used Bernays' ideas to the fullest. It's terrifying, but the same psychological tactics that Goebbels used to incite hate against Jewish people and to encourage people to to join the Nazi party are the same tactics that marketing and and brands and that the US government uses today. And all of this is rooted in Freud's work. So psychoanalysis is rooted in this belief that inherent in our human condition are dangerous and irrational desires and fears. And Freud put this belief forward and 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 put the notion forward that as humans we needed to learn how to control these dark and deep inner forces. And Freud is a sexist, racist, piece of shit, toxic masculine asshole, and so is his nephew Edward Bernays. So all of this is complete bullshit. We inherent in the human condition is not dangerous and irrational desires and fears, but they very, they found a really great way. Like Bernays used Freud's work and research as a way to manipulate our desires and our fears and our human emotions. (laughs) 
as human beings, it's not that our unconscious drives are inherently evil or abnormal. It's that various forms of trauma combined with living within systems of oppression impact our relationship to ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our brains, and our internal and external reality. This doesn't mean that we are at our core irrational or barbaric, as Freud and then Bernays would have us believe. The way that they manipulated the masses and the way that they used their research and their work and skewed it, it was just a really convenient way for them and other powerful white men in positions of leadership and authority to justify their campaigns of exploitation and abuse and hoarding power. And so we can see that Freud's and Bernays' work has been employed on a mass scale to this day through predatory marketing tactics and as well as through political campaigns. So I know that I've talked about this before on the podcast. I've talked about the what what's called the four uh, traps and the two undeletable apps in our brain. These are things that I learned from the Trauma of Money program. And I'm going to revisit them here because we can't talk about these things enough. And um, so if you've heard this before, this will be a review. And if this is new to you, then great. <laughs> um, I feel like this is really powerful information. So... In our brains, there are you could you can think of it as there are two undeletable apps. So you look at your phone and you can't delete some of the apps on your phone, right? You can never delete the calculator or whatever other app there is. Like you can't delete the there are certain apps you can't delete on your phone. And just like in our brain, there are two apps that you can't delete, quote unquote apps in our brain. Two mechanisms in our brain that will never go away. And those two apps in our brain are the sense of fearing for danger. And the second one is a sense of continuous preoccupation of comparison. So sense of danger and, and comparison. These are two undeletable apps in our brains. So a long time ago, millions and millions of years ago, we would have really truly needed to be preoccupied with danger because it was really present. Like there would have been rivals or animals or lack of shelter. And I know for some people, lack of shelter is a very real reality. And uh, this is just to say that this was a very much more present reality for all of us millions and millions of years ago. And uh, we are often a lot of us are not being met with like big predators and big animals unless you're living like in more rural areas. So the and then this feature of comparison, we would have really needed to be preoccupied with this because we would have wanted to see like if we're in a group of people and we we would need to be hunting or gathering. We would need to be seriously worried about whether or not we're being excluded or included in that group for our survival. So it would have been really important for us to be comparing ourselves to others to see like, oh, am I equally strong enough to take care of this situation or am I equally as apt to take care of the fire? And so we would have needed to assess that because we wouldn't have any chance of surviving if we were to be abandoned by the group. And of course, you know, there's, this is a criticism of our, of our society today that we are in a very individualistic, hyper-individualistic society due to white supremacy and capitalism. And I still t- deeply believe that we 
need to be in community and we need to be in groups to survive. Uh, And this is just to say that it is less like we are able to survive in ways that we couldn't before without that kind of solid group that we would have had millions and millions of years ago. So here we are today and a lot of these dangers are not present in the same ways. And and yet these fears that we're not smart enough or they're, we're not um, disciplined enough or we're not apt enough, we're not strong enough or that we're not going to have enough money to pay our rent or, um, you know, all of these, these fears and these comparisons are still present. And so the fact that we are preoccupied with these two apps, these two features of our brain, what happens is then we fall into these four traps and these traps are absolutely inescapable in our society, but we can become aware of them. And so again, this is 4 million years of evolution and adaptation. So it's really not possible to escape these things. Like these are undeletable apps, the sense of danger and a sense of comparison, but we can be aware of them and we can, and we can know, we can create more, consciousness around them and then we can make discerning choices by being more aware of them and so from these apps we can fall into these four traps and the first trap is that happiness is a natural state and this 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 comes back around to consumerism and psychoanalysis because in psychoanalysis Sigmund Freud put forward the idea that we that the masses are supposed to adapt to the reality around them. So in the Century of Self's documentary, uh, a political theorist and a psychoanalyst named Dr. Neil Smelser was interviewed. And in the documentary, he said, psychoanalysts, this is a quote, never questioned the reality. So never question the reality that it might itself be a source of evil or something to which you could not adapt without compromise or without suffering or exploiting yourself in some way. So the origins of psychoanalysis believed that the road to happiness was adapting to the external world. However, they weren't acknowledging these these white psychoanalytical theories left out the fact that there's that the world is traumatic and that there was these there were these violent infrastructures that make up quote unquote american life so there's this idea that if you're not adapting to your environment then there's something wrong with you there's something inherently wrong with you so this idea this trap that we'll get into often is that happiness is this natural state if if we're not happy in our lives we're thinking there's something wrong with us. If we're not adapting well to our lives and we are depressed or anxious or lonely, then we are, there's something wrong with us. We're, you know? So, and this is just, this idea that happiness is a natural state is pushed in our faces. We see it constantly in commercials. We see it constantly in media, and you know this plays into this we can see this through instagram and how it's a highlight reel and and because happiness we're 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 made to believe that happiness is a natural state but because it's not a natural state because we know 
that we have these two undeletable apps that are never going to go away, that are inherent to our brains, which is that we will always be able to experience a sense of danger and and comparison. Like those are two apps in our brains that are never going to go away. So no matter what, there will be at some point in our lives. I mean, I experience this a lot of times throughout my day, just a lot of moments where I'm, I'm maybe working through a feeling of being in danger or being in a comparison mode. And this is, these are human and natural responses to living in this world. So this leads us to the second trap, which is that because we are conditioned to believe that happiness is a natural state that we should be seeking and that we should be striving for, but it's not natural because we will fall into comparison by our programming, then this leads us into that second trap of thinking, I must be defective. There must be something wrong with me. And this narrative is used against marginalized folks the most in our society. So we might have thoughts like, I must be fucking crazy. I must be too goddamn sensitive. But that's not true at all. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with me for experiencing discontent, sadness, anger, any kind of feeling that isn't happy, (laughs) depression, anxiety. All these things are completely natural human responses to living within systems of oppression. You know, if there's, so this leads to the third trap. The third trap is that there should be no pain. This belief that there should be no pain. So the, this, this idea that this ideal state of happiness that I want includes the condition that there should be no pain. So anything that we endeavor, we're hoping will lead us to a life that is free of pain or free of any emotion that we consider quote-unquote negative. But life is full of pain and suffering. That is the reality of our existence. So this is absolutely a trap to believe that we can be without pain, that there should be no pain. And that in order to be perfectly happy, we need to achieve a painless existence. And then this gets us to the last final trap, the fourth trap, the belief that all should be under control. This is the cause of so much of our pain because we really can't control anything. But we, if we believe that we can control pain and then we, we think we'll be happy and that we'll experience no pain. But really, what is, where we can find the most peace and content is when we can work to acknowledge our emotions, acknowledge our humanity, acknowledge the fluctuations that we experience throughout the day, the the fluctuations of our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts, and where we can start to create more consciousness and discernment around our beliefs and our emotions and educate ourselves on how we've been manipulated by psychoanalysis and by mass marketing and the media and even our public school system to to believe certain things about ourselves to believe that we should be happy all the time to believe that we should live a pain-free existence and that it's our fault if we're not adapting to our external reality when really the external reality is extremely hostile and violent to humanity that these systems of oppression are not conducive 
to us thriving. So when we think about these undeletable apps and these four traps that we can get ourselves into, we find ourselves in. This is, this is what Sigmund Freud was talking about when he was, when he was talking about the irrational desires and fears. And this is what Bernays manipulated, found ways to manipulate these, these undeletable apps in our brains, a sense of danger and comparison, because we see this in mass marketing today. We see this in, 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 uh, brands marketing today. We see that like, uh, a, an ad for a piece of clothing makes us feel like, oh, well, if I have that, then I'll be hot and sexy and look great too. And I'll be wanted and I'll be confident and I'll be loved and adored by everyone just like this person in this commercial. Or, oh, if I eat that yogurt, then I'll be so skinny and so like wanted and adored and happy just like this thin white woman who is the the ideal beauty standards which are rooted in you know european beauty standards and white supremacist beauty standards so marketing is using this knowledge of how our brains work naturally and then manipulating the shit out of it, <laughs> manipulating the shit out of our brains. So we can have, having, the, having this awareness is really important. And then what we can do with this information is we can think about this whenever we're about to make a money decision, whenever we're about to make a choice. So when you're seeing these sales and they're playing into scarcity tactics, think about how that's making you feel. Like if you can create some space between the email you're reading that's like 24 hour sale or two more hours to go or don't miss out on this deal. Like see if you can create a little bit of space, give yourself some time to sit back and and feel what's going on in your body. Get curious about the experience you're having in your body and feel what's coming up for you because What's going on in that moment is that that marketing is triggering your fight, flight, freezer, fawn response. It is triggering our subconscious, our our sense of fear, our sense of danger. That's the danger of like missing out, the danger of being excluded, the danger of 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 resources being scarce. Like, oh, if I don't grab this, then I won't have it. So. So being able to sit back and give yourself some time and space to really, really sit on a purchasing decision. And another thing that's really helpful is there, the trauma of money talks about the HALT method. So H-A-L-T, and that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So before you make a decision to buy something, think about, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Am I any emotion that is uncomfortable? Like, am I just, am I just really sad? Am I depressed? Am I anxious? Because for me, a lot of the times before I became more conscious and aware, before I went to two years of dedicated therapy and before I studied nervous system healing work, I would often make impulsive buying decisions. I would go shopping when I felt depressed and I was, and I'd have a really hard time saving and keeping my money in my bank account because 
it was a nice quick hit of dopamine. So this also brings me to the idea of hedonic versus eudaimonic happiness. So the idea that we want to control the pain of danger in comparison and the way that capitalism and consumerism has primed us to soothing the pain with hedonic pleasure. So if we feel bad, if we feel any emotion that is that is unwanted or unpleasant, we are conditioned in our society to go out and buy something. Oh, you're feeling upset or you're feeling like down or like the the message is to just go buy something to fix it, to fix yourself, to fix your state of mind, to try to squelch the pain. But we know that there's no cure for all of our imperfections and for all of our quote-unquote negative feelings or experiences. And oftentimes whenever I would go and buy something when I was depressed or anxious, I would get home and just feel like shit. It would make me feel even worse. I would go out and buy some clothes and I'd come back and be like, okay, now what? (laughs) So... Aristotle came up with this idea that a happy life is not a life embedded in these kind of hedonic pleasures of denying pain, but instead it's connected with the idea of eudaimonic pleasure or diamond pleasure, which which means like the core of our essence, the core of what we're meant to pursue in the first place. And when we connect with this sense of why, when we connect to meaning and the sense of something bigger than ourselves, we can connect with a different meaning of happiness. Positive psychology calls this eudaimonic happiness. So not pursuing a life that goes from negative to positive and soothing the pain because happiness is what we should be striving for all the time. But we can acknowledge that at the moment, this is unbearable pain. How can we diffuse the pain? Or how can we move towards what's meaningful instead of trying to soothe through band-aids, band-aid measures like buying things, shopping, drinking, or other surface level bombs? Because everywhere we look on social media, there are ads. We're being bombarded by this triggering our innate programs of danger and comparison, right? Don't you want glassy skin? You better get this $100 cream. Don't you want your kids to be safely transported to their soccer game? You better get this exact minivan, otherwise you're a bad parent. So it's important to step back and practice discernment. And Peter Levine, who's the founder of Somatic Experiencing, offers the idea that what we're aiming for is not a flat line or a life free of suffering or free from a life of danger in comparison. Because again, these are undeletable apps. So really what we're looking to develop and cultivate is a bodily experience, a nervous system that is well-regulated, a nervous system that can experience moments of dysregulation. So of these moments of feeling anxious or depressed or a little like out of sorts, a nervous system that can experience discomfort, sadness, pain, or deactivation or withdrawal. And within those moments, we can help ourselves to find regulation. And when we are exposed to traumatic stress, so through intergenerational trauma, personal, interpersonal trauma, childhood trauma, systemic trauma, all of this stress from capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy, 
living in this world is traumatizing. And these, these are pressures on our nervous system. We can move ourselves out of the space. We can slowly help ourselves to move out of the space of this trauma vortex of buying into the overwhelm and the traps and the idea that we should be constantly happy. And we can work to move ourselves into the counter vortex, which we can do that by using the HALT method or some other tactics might be to go to therapy and um, so for some people that really helps or we can go for a run. I mean, these are really simple things, but that truly is what will help us get into what this, what the trauma of money calls the counter vortex. So it could be taking a bath. It could be eating some food. I know that I make better decisions when I'm, when I'm fed, when I'm not on an empty stomach. And the counter vortex can be described as pendulation. So we're in relationship with the pain. We're acknowledging our pain. And we can explore what it's like to be, to, to be in relationship with that pain. What would it be like to remain in relationship with that pain instead of denying it or repressing it or pushing it away? And maybe for a moment that pain is unbearable or maybe it's chronic. So see how you can maybe just touch upon your pain and relieve yourself of the pressure to deny that it exists. Relieve yourself of the pressure to deny or suppress it or hate yourself because this pain is so natural and it's so human. So this eudaimonic approach to life, like, I mean, it could be like going for a hike, you know, like, um, yeah, putting your energy towards a hobby or a creative practice or being out in nature, connecting with friends. This approach to life really helps us with our relationship with money. Hedonism is searching for pleasure. It is prioritizing pleasure over pain. And that doesn't mean that hedonism is bad. Like, I mean, hedonism is amazing and beautiful and great in its own right. But it's just that we live in a society that really manipulates us into prioritizing hedonism and quick, instant gratification over long-term holistic well-being, over eudaimonic experiences, over eudaimonic happiness. And what we're basically doing by developing more of a, and, and, and by, by creating a more harmonious relationship between our hedonism and our eudaimonic happiness is we're working towards honoring our innate worthiness outside of what we could buy and what we can consume. So we can challenge this bullshit that we've been fed, this brainwashing that we've been fed from the roots of psychoanalysis from Sigmund Freud, that fucking douchebag, and from Edward Bernays, that piece of shit. <laughs> we can push back against this conditioning and we can push back against and unlearn the conditioning that we've been groomed to be consumers. Because consumerism is the child of colonialism. And we don't necessarily always want to soothe our pain because the pain is 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 giving us information it is telling us something important about the reality of the world about our situation it is telling us that something is wrong that something is off so not every 
bit of pain or discomfort or anger or sadness or grief or anxiety or depression, not all of this, not all these experiences need to be soothed or repressed. But how can we be in a new relationship with it? How can we accept these feelings and honor these feelings that we have? Now, when I said that, what came to mind is that I'm not trying to say that if you go to therapy or and your therapist suggests that you take medication, like that that's wrong or bad. Because like personally for me, I've been on Lexapro since last year and it is amazing. I love Lexapro. I will continue to take it <laughs> because it has helped me so much with my anxiety. It's like, you know, sometimes we are in such a state like... I should have been a Lexapro probably a really long time ago. So it's not to say that like we can't take medication or that we shouldn't or that like um, there aren't helpful ways that we can we can soothe ourselves. Uh, I do think that the part of me believes that my anxiety is because we live in systems of oppression, of course, and the this is a ramification. Our mental health is a result of the systems we live in, and that I in a way, I'm now taking anxiety medications so that I can better function inside these fucked up systems. Like, yes, Lexapro is a band-aid measure for me in that way. Uh, it, it's also, yeah, for so many people, medicine and medication are life-saving resources. So I'm not saying to rule out those things as resources at all. So I just, that just came up for me. And I don't know if that, if that is resonating or if that makes sense, but I just wanted to share that on top of what I just, what I just said. So the last thing that I kind of want to touch on before I end this episode is that what's going on when we, when we encounter this scarcity marketing and this kind of like FOMO marketing of like, you better get the sale now or it's going to go away forever is that this is playing into the this like all or nothing kind of thinking that our brain really gets triggered by like we have a really hard time making cognitive discerning choices when we're met with that kind of messaging because our prefrontal cortex can go offline and we can get really wrapped up in okay well now it's now or never we have to make a decision now and our we we lose access to the our prefrontal cortex when we are in a trauma triggered state and this kind of scarcity marketing can put us in a trauma triggered state where we lose access to the prefrontal cortex we lose access to our ability to choose to reason and in this state we can go into, well, I guess I only have this one option. Or we go into the state where I better buy this now, otherwise I won't have it. I will never be able to get it again. And then what happens is that our amygdala gets lit up and that's like what's considered our lizard brain where we, this is the, the part of our brain where we feel our emotions and where uh, our emotions get tapped into. And so that's what marketing is doing. Marketing is manipulating our emotions, our human responses and emotions. So 
that's why I keep saying let's let's try to take a step back when we're being bombarded by this messaging and it's important to come back to that buying decision when you feel grounded as much as possible all right everyone that is the episode I hope that this was helpful for you and I hope that you have gotten some insight and some support and found some grounding within this episode. I know that I can go all over the place often. (laughs) I know that I can go on tangents and sometimes it's hard for me to bring it back around and connect all the dots. Um, I'm going to blame my Mercury retrograde when I was born. I was born under Mercury retrograde, so gonna blame that but (laughs) hopefully it all connected and made sense as always if you have any questions you can always send me an email at aaron at aaronkmonahan.com i would love to hear from you um yeah that i i hope that what we can what we can get out of this episode is that we, are, we have the capacity to work with our unconscious mind and we have the capacity to cultivate discernment and choice about how we want to work not just with our money, but how we want to create our reality and how we want to live our lives and how we can dismantle these existing oppressive structures so that we can build new life-affirming systems and structures in a way that benefits us the collective and the earth and i wholeheartedly reject the idea that we are irrational at our core and i'm definitely dedicated to learning more about all of the people who are working to disrupt white supremacy and colonialism in the field of psychoanalysis because there are plenty of people who are doing that as well as how we can use the research to dismantle systems of oppression in in us and in the world instead of bolster them like Freud, Bernays, and other white psychoanalysts have done. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts and your feedback on this episode. I hope that you have a nourishing week, a nourishing day, a nourishing morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this. (laughs) And I will talk to you soon. Bye.